The following sermon is from the United Church of Tishomingo. All right. If you have your Bible, and I asked you two weeks ago, and I know nobody remembers this, uh, but I ask you to come prepared to take some notes. So if you have that ability, we're going to get to that point. Now, um, I also mentioned, Dustin, I didn't say anything to you this week, but by next week, I want to run off the copies of those um, gold sheets that I was talking about. So I'm saying it now because <laughs> I have a tendency to forget stuff. So um, uh, I shared with you, and I'll share that with you in just a little bit about that. But there are some things that I'm going to ask you to write down, and here's why. I believe this with all my, I don't just believe it with my heart. It's a fact. It's a truth. That if a person is going to set their mind to do something that's important and good, they need to write that down. That needs to be written. You, if you don't write things down where you see them, you'll never remember to do it. It'll skip, it'll, you'll get busy, you'll forget. It needs to be somewhere where you can see it each day. And so there's some things in these past Scripture here that I'm going to ask you to write down. Now, last year, when we, last two weeks ago when I was here, the title of my sermon was New Year, New goals. Now, I know it's almost February, but I haven't been able to, to be here to do my New Year's sermon. And so just quickly review, I've cut it way down from last week. Remember, it's a new year, and everybody's like, thank the Lord that it's a new year. Everybody was ready for 2020 to get out of here. And I know all of the negative reasons for that attitude, but my question was this. What are your positive reasons to looking forward to 2021? What goals do you have? Do you even have a plan to ensure that 2021 is going to be better? Because what I hear, most of the time people say, I just want things to get back to normal. And my contention last week was, and still is, that the past 10 or 12 years, that the way that this country's been going, what's in your, what we've been doing, if that's your idea of normal, you need a new idea of normal. Because our country hasn't been in good shape and hasn't been normal the way it should be. For a long, long time. And I know it's been longer than 10 years, but the last 10 have been horrible. And if you wish to return to that, you kind of need to look deep in your heart and see who's influencing your definition of normal. And whatever it's worth, like I said, my desire is that we start seeking a new normal that has some sort of resemblance again to what God and His Word tells us normal ought to look like. So, I chose this passage of Scripture that tells us what our attitude ought to be. This is what the Christian attitude has to be if you want your future to be better than your past. If you really want better, here's what has to happen. I'm going to read it again, the whole thing, because it's worth reading. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 7. For whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, so that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, and be conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, 
or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the, of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join me in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have had in us. For many walk, of whom I often tell you and tell you now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. They take glory in their shame and they set their minds on the things of this earth. For that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that is a large, huge part. A Christian would do well to circle that and keep that with them for their entire time to make sure that you understand what it's going to take if you want your future to be better than your past. Our goal as a human being, as a Christian, as a student, as an athlete, should always be to be getting better. If your goal is not to be better tomorrow than you were today, you don't have the right goal. But if you don't have a plan to reach that goal, you're never going to get there. And Paul lays it out right here and gives us the plan. And so, let's look today in these passages of Scripture that I just read of how to do that. Now, remember last week, I said there were three things and we got the first one done. I said we got a problem that we need to fix. So we got a plan that we're going to do it, and then we've got what we're going to have to practice to make that happen. The plan, the problem, plan, and practice. So, the problem, really quick, I'll keep it short because I already did it, but here's the problem. Everybody has a 2020. It's called your past. Everybody has a sin problem. And there are two extremes when you come to the sin problem that you ought to deal with. Some people have a past so bad they don't think God, there's just no way God could never. And that's an issue. Because I know people who let that drag them down because they just don't realize they're freed from that. That God has freed them. You need to understand that. But at the same time, some people have never done a lot of evil stuff in their life. You know, and they've never been horrible. So they don't think they need to do very much. They're pretty good. And I'm all right, and I don't need... That's just as bad as the person who can't let go of their past as the person who doesn't think they need to do anything. There's a joke I like to tell because... And if you... I apologize if I offend you. But since I hate the New York Yankees, um, one of my favorite jokes is how many, how many Yankees does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is none. They don't change it. They just sit around and talk about how good the old light bulb was. Now, that's... <laughs> that's... Uh, Kind of the way it is with a lot of people in church. It's kind of like they served on a committee one time, or they taught a Sunday school class one time, or they volunteered to help on a mission trip one time, or they did this or that or the other, and I'm good now. It's somebody else's turn. You know, I did my part. Let somebody else step up and take that. Listen to me very carefully. I've, there's a new, I've never really said this in these terms before, and I was listening to George Barnett, and I'll give him credit through the Holy Spirit for sparking this in me. When you, and this is part of it, when you serve in church, would you please hear this? 
Because I was wrong for so many years. I didn't have the right, I wasn't coming from the right place. I shouldn't ask you to serve. Nobody should. It's not so that we aren't shorthanded, so we have enough people to watch the kids, so we have somebody covering all the bases. That's not why you ask people to serve. The reason why we ask people and the reason why you should be thinking about it is service is the pathway to maturity in Christ. That's what it's about. It's not saying, okay, we got it all covered. We can relax now. We've got Sunday school. Service is the pathway. We've been offering people, watch this, as George Barnes said, we've been offering them a menu. Here, just pick one or two. If you pick three or four, we'll be glad. Take three or four things off the menu and just do them. He said, well, we need to be offering them a road map instead of a menu. Because service is the road to becoming like Christ. That's why you should serve in the church. That's why what you should be a part. Because Christ taught us that the greatest thing, He said, if you want to be greatest, what did He say? The greatest among you must be the least, the servants of all. That's why you serve. That's the reason. And I think if we had that attitude, if Christ was our goal, we wouldn't have trouble filling whatever it is. But when we just ask somebody because we need somebody to take it, that doesn't work for them and it doesn't work for us. And it's not the way that things are going to get the way they need to be. Does that make sense? And so through George Barner watching him and the Holy Spirit, God just convicted me for years that I didn't have the right understanding and I had never explained that even for myself, you know, been able to put it in words that service is the pathway to maturity in Christ, which is where we should be going, not just maintaining the facilities and having church, but becoming like Christ. Okay? Now, with that as our goal, that's what this passage is about. Becoming like Christ and serving. And so, we all have a sin problem, a past, and until we repent, follow Christ to be baptized, until we follow Christ, you can't do any of this stuff because the Holy Spirit's the only one that can empower you to do this and make you like Christ. But if you have dealt with your sin, with your sin past, if you've made your life right with Christ, then that 2020, that problem, we can do this right here. We can do verse 12. Brethren, I don't regard that I'm perfect yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I start reaching forward now to what lies ahead. Have, Christian friends, I know most of you in here, probably I hope all of you have been saved, but I don't. can you do that? Are you able to do that yet? Can you forget what lies behind and just forget it and start reaching to what lies ahead? You can't do that until you've given Christ your whole past. Everything. Alright, so with that in mind, let's look at the plan. Okay. Now I told you two weeks ago, I'll tell you again really quick, but I'm going to say it fast. But Dustin's going to have a sheet because I don't want you filling it out now anyway. I want you to wait till the sermon series is over. But that sheet's just going to have three columns. It's going to have what is your plan to make 2021 better? Next column, what steps are you going to have to take to get there? Next column, what things will stop you from getting there? What are the things, the obstacles that could derail you? That's all it's going to be. And I would like to think about that. Now, to make, remember, to make it different, there has to be a plan and nothing will ever change unless you have that. So, here's the Bible's instructions. And just a quick review. It started with 
verse 11. The ultimate plan or goal of every Christian sitting in this room ought to be this. Look at verse 11. He says that I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now what does that mean to attain? I thought if I was saved, I, I was going to be resurrected. You are. But let me ask you a question. Are you living 100% like it? And the answer probably for everybody in here, including me, I'll start with me, is no, you're not. And neither am I. And what Paul is saying, I want to live up to that standard that God said He's given me. See, when I used to coach girls basketball, I was serious about this too. I was deadly serious. If I gave some kids a uniform, I said, look, this doesn't just mean you get to play basketball. This means you're representing somebody. This means the way you act over the weekends and what you do when you're not in school and how you treat your teachers and how you do this and how you do it. I said, you're representing the Durant Lady Lions. And we have some things that we expect are standards that you'll abide by. Now, I'm not stupid. I know teenagers. <laughs> I know. they didn't. All, I, I get probably what was going on a lot of times, but my point is, there was an expectation. And it meant something. And we took that serious. And when you put on the uniform of Christianity, there's some expectations that go with that. Listen to me very carefully. I didn't know this when I was a kid. I really didn't until I got to be older and got to be a coach. But there's a phenomenon that some kids do, and some of you will laugh because you'll know it. Some of you won't. If you haven't been in athletics, you won't get this. But there are some kids that will come out, like, say, for football, <clears throat> and they'll get the uniform, and you know they always take the team picture early in the year? And then they'll take the picture, and then they'll quit. Because all, all, or, or all they wanted was to be on the football team. They didn't want to do the work that it took to be a football team. And guys, I say sadly, I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who have taken the picture, they, they put on the uniform and, they're, and, they're, and their picture's in the directory, and that's it. There's not anything else they're doing. And the Scripture is very clear that there is a standard that you're expected to live up to if you call yourself a Christian. That's what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. To say you're a Christian and then not live anywhere near that standard why do you call yourself that? You're not living that way. You're not trying. You're not even acting. I don't say, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes and stone. That's not what I'm saying. But I know people who call themselves Christians are living worse than gee, Christmas than I've ever seen. They've taken the Lord's name in vain. That means for nothing. And nothing's coming out of it. And so, Paul says, my goal is to live up to that standard God gave me. Now, I'm going to ask you something seriously. Through this sickness, God has tested me and asked me if that's what I really want. Is that what you really want? Or you just want me to heal you? I'm serious. You really want this? Or do you just want me to get you back to where you can start going again? Or do you want me? What's, and I'll have to admit, at first it was more I just want to get well. I just want to, get, I want to get through this stuff, get over this stuff, I want to get going. And God says, what about me? And over and over and over again. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs 3 somewhere, and it says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves even as a father, the son in whom He delights. And I was like, oh, I hate that. You know? And, and, and it took me a long time to be able to say thank you 
for the difficulty that was drawing me closer to actually really wanting Him instead of just getting my life back. Because even though I talk about how 2020 was horrible and people just want to get back to that, be careful because I'm being completely honest with you and open today that you don't want to just kind of go back to your normal, same old everyday life, but you need to be shooting to a higher standard. Is that the standard that you want? Because that's what Paul says. you got to have a goal. And it's to, it is to attain to live like you live in Jesus Christ and not in your old life. But now, go to verse 10. I think you understand that clearly. Paul gives four pillars that that goal is built on. You will never attain to that standard, the resurrection from the dead, until you have these four pillars in place. So look at verse 10. Here are the four pillars that underpin the goal attaining to Christ. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings and be conformed to His death. Now, watch carefully. I'll, I'll, like I said, I don't have time to flesh it out completely. The Holy Spirit will do that with you. But first of all, it says that I may know Him. Do you think Paul knew Jesus? Of course. What that means is to know in the deepest, most experiential way. It means know Him better. Look, I know a lot of people, but I don't, I'm going to use an example because he could take it. But, you know, there's some people I know, kind of know a little bit about, but Kevin has been one of my best friends forever. I could tell you, I'm not going to tell him anything. But I, 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 know, I know a lot of stuff about Kevin because we have spent hours and hours and hours together. I mean, literally, for years, we've done that. And the only way that I get to know those things, you know, if somebody told me something about, hey, Kevin said this, you know what? I'd know before talking to him whether that was true or not because I know him good enough to know what he's going to say and what he's not going to say. We know each other that well. How many of you know Jesus that well? You know, I used to get questions all the time. How do I know if it's Jesus talking? I'll tell you how you find out. Spend more time with Him. How do I know if it's God or me? I've been asked that. You know, how do I know if it's God or if that's just what? Spend more time with Him. Because the more time you spend with Him, the better you're going to know Him. And what Paul is saying here is, look, you're never going to live up to this standard of Jesus without spending time with Jesus. And I'm telling you, this busy world keeps us from doing that. And I could go on and on and on, I'm not. But hear me, busyness is the worst thing that ever happened to us. And it robs us from time with Christ. And it keeps us from reaching that goal of living to the standard of the resurrection from the dead. You've got to spend time with Christ. God has forced me. And now, some people watching, I'm gonna, I don't necessarily, I don't know if God caused the ill, let it, you know, I don't know how that works. I don't know. But I know through this, He has forced me to spend more time with Him and get with Him. That's, that's all I can tell you. The reason why, it's a mystery, and I don't have an answer. I won't stand up here and tell you all this stuff. But I know it's forced me to spend more time with Him and know Him better. Secondly, that I may know the power of His resurrection. Now that word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Something that, all right? And it is the description of the power of the Holy Spirit who created heaven and earth and raised Jesus from the dead. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Do you realize, Christian, that if you've been saved and received Christ, 
the Holy Spirit who created the universe, who raised Christ from the dead, who did it all, lives in you. Is there any power coming out of you at all like that? I'm just asking. Because it's available. It's there. Paul says, look, Paul says, I want to know. He didn't say I want to know about. I want to know that power. Now I want to ask you, listen, God has driven me and driven me and driven me hard. And one of the things that He convicted me of in my life, there were some things that weren't right, and I've, I, I, I've been in repentance and in confession. I've been in fasting. I've been in prayer. But you know in James 5 where it says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. For the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And I, and I just, there was not effective prayer coming out of my life. I mean, I pray, but it, do you understand? And, and, and listen to me, I just don't think you realize the power that is in you. Peter, James, and John, Paul had no more of the Holy Spirit than you do. No more. But the Holy Spirit might have had more of them than He has of you. And I found out, and I've said this before, but I keep, God keeps taking me deeper and deeper and deeper, and He'll do that with you if you'll, if you'll let Him. Some things that were just nothing, you know, not sin, nothing bad at all that just God's told me, I want that. I, I, I want that time. And I want this time. I'm not doing it. I'm just, I want that time. That's mine. I want you to start giving that to me. I mean, literally, not sins, nothing evil, nothing bad, just I want this, I want this, I want this. And he puts his finger there. And until you say yes, you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit to do all God wants to do in you. And so if you're not seeing effective prayer and power and things being changed, it's because you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work in you. And you need to get with God and let Him convict you because I don't know what it is. But He does and He'll put His finger right on it. Right on it. Okay? I was going to say this later, but I'm going to say it now. When you know you need to do something, you better do it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you're not going to like it when God does it. Because He's real good at it. And I'm being funny, but I'm not being funny. If there's something you need to take care of, you better take care of it right now. Because God gives you that opportunity. But if you don't, He will. And He ain't going to quit till it's done. <laughs> and, and you're not going to like being under the wine press for a long time until you let Him get that attitude or that thing out of your life, whatever it is that He wants. But that power only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and that only comes when you crucify those things God asked for. The third pillar is to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Now, no preachers like to preach this because nobody wants to come and hear this. It's not preached. But do you remember what I taught you that word fellowship means? It means to have all things in common. That's what the word fellowship means, to have all things in common. How many of you really want to know the fellowship of His sufferings? For real. How many of you want to know the suffering that Christ knew? I don't think I'm there yet. I know I'm supposed to be. I know God is working to get there. But do you realize what all He suffered? Have you ever looked at that? The, the insults, the hatred, the, the beatings, the, the crucifixion. And he's, Paul says, I want to know the fellowship. I want to have that in common. Now that doesn't mean Paul went out trying to start fights so he could suffer. But he went out 
doing what Jesus did. And when you do what Jesus did, it naturally is going to bring persecution. It's going to happen. Period. And it's going to happen more now than it's ever happened in our lives. And some of you, me, before very long, may have to decide whether a job is worth it. Or a friendship is worth it. Because it's coming. It's coming fast. And Paul says, I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to know the fellowship of His suffering. So, quick review here. He says, I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, and D, be conformed to His death. Now, what that really means is to be dead to the world, or more accurately, the world dead to you. Listen to me. Our society has sacrificed pleasure and entertainment for holiness for a long time. And the pleasure and the entertainment have poisoned, corrupted, and destroyed our families. And our children, and our grandchildren, and I used to not say this, but I'll say it now, and people can say whatever they want to, but the best thing you could probably do is go home and throw your TV out the window and never watch it again. I think you'd find yourself as happy as you've ever been after a little while. After you detoxed, I think you'd find yourself as happy as, that, as you've ever been. Because all that does is invite stuff into your home that even when you think you're watching something safe, there's a way to sneak it in there. And so, do what you want to do. I'm not going to come check your house. But the things that we do, matter of fact, even political beliefs, you know, you might have to change one of those. Some people just refuse. You know, they were born this, and I, I, I'm so sick of hearing that. If somebody is opposed to the will and the Word of God, and they actively pursue disobedience to the Word of God, they are unholy. They are ungodly. They are not a true Christian. They are not doing what they're supposed to do. And when we align ourselves with that type of thing, it puts us in danger. I want to, Ethan, can you call that up? I'm going to show you just one minute and 32 seconds. If, can, we, yeah, can we go back and get it up and get... And then go back to the first? Go back to the very first. I want you all to listen to this.
You want to justify transgender activity? Don't tell me you want to invite more Muslims in to represent a religion from hell and then put your hand on the throne of God. It's time to take a stand. It's time to have the guts to say something when people say stupid stuff about calling this administration civil and decent and all that kind of stuff. You know, I had a thought I'll make it public here. I thought about making it Facebook, but I don't want to fight the fight. Since our president now signed an executive order to send money to other countries to kill more babies, does that make him a hitman? Just a thought there about that. We need to understand that there is nothing godly about this administration. Nothing godly at all about any of this. Everything they seek to do is to destroy and tear down the pillars, knowing Him, knowing the fellowship of His suffering, knowing the death, knowing the power, knowing the resurrection, knowing the Lord God. There is nothing. And I pray for them just like the Bible says to, just so you know. But I'm also going to speak the truth. And people better start speaking the truth. Because what's happened is, since you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be controversial and you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed to keep your mouth shut. You're not supposed to cause trouble. We're supposed to be unity. And so we've been cowed into being silent and the evil has grown because people will not stand up and say, that's wrong, that's a lie from hell. That's why that grows. And there is a time, the Bible says, as far as it is possible with you, be at peace with all men. But there comes a point in time, you think Jesus was at peace with those that crucified Him? With those that tried to kill Him? There was no peace there. Do you remember the time when He looked at the leaders and said, you're a bunch of whitewashed graves? You Jesus looked at the leaders and said, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. And that's where we are. They polish up on the outside, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. And they're making dead man decisions. And this country will pay the price for that. And it's about time that somebody had the guts to stand up and say something about it and start doing what's right. Because Paul says, if you ever hope to attain to the resurrection from the dead, you must be conformed to His death. Which means you go out the window and what this says is now your life. If it doesn't line up with this, it's a sin. And nothing that he mentioned and nothing that is being pushed lines up with this word. Let me just make it very clear so I say it one more time. It's a sin, it's evil, and it's the worst thing that we've been under since I've been alive. Because now it's accepted completely and we're going to see it get worse and worse and worse. The ultimate pursuit of your everyday life, is it more stuff and money and things or is it Jesus? That's my question. Would you be willing? Have you ever even considered what if Jesus called, like Simon Peter and those guys, had a job? What if Jesus called you away? Would you leave it? Would you give it up? Would you put it down if He said, come follow me? If that's what He asked you to do, I know some people say, well, I'd like to, but I'm afraid He might. Would you give it up if He asked you to follow Him somewhere else? So, there is what should be for all of us who claim Christ our New Year's and everyday resolution goal to attain from the resurrection of the dead by knowing Him, by spending more time with Him, by knowing the power of the, His resurrection, by crucifying my flesh, 
by knowing the fellowship of His sufferings, by standing up like He did, when He did, by being conformed to His death and stop worrying what this world thinks and what people think and what's going on around you and follow Jesus Christ. Now, just about done. But like any good goal, and like I've mentioned earlier, okay, to reach a goal, there has to be a practice that you put in place and some practices you'll have to avoid. So, if you'll put down in your notes of where you're going to, I'm going to just say it really quick. I'm not going to... There, we're going to, the next thing we're going to do is look at the practices you will have to put in place to reach this goal. And I've identified, I, some of you are going to freak out, but don't. Let me finish the sentence. In just these verses, I've identified 16 practices that you'll have to put in place. I cannot, will not flesh these out. Okay, so we're not doing 16 sermons. I'm going to, not today, I'm not even going to start today. But I'll give you where they start if you want to look ahead. Uh, you're going to have to flesh those out, but that's part of the goal. I can't know Christ for you. you got to go through this, okay? So that's why I'm going to ask you next week, especially to come ready to take, because watch this, these practices are stepping stones to the goal of being more Christ-like. And Paul gives a clear roadmap right here. And it starts in verse 7. And except for verse, I've already done 11, and verse 12, those are not, that's the goal. Remember, that's the goal and the pillars. 11 and 12 is the goal and the pillars. All the rest of the verses give you practices you'll have to take and practices you'll have to avoid. And then we're going to go through those and see what those mean to us. Okay? So in the meantime, here's my challenge to you. <clears throat> it's the end of this sermon, but I want to make it today. It's later on. Is what you're doing today and tomorrow and the next day with an eternal perspective in mind? Do you think about the eternity of your decisions? Or are you just living? Now watch what I mean. Bear with me for one little illustration. You know, I work at the ropes course. I work with teenagers. I put them through all these team events, you know, where they got to do these things to, to be successful. And there's a lot of work involved. You know what happens every single time? Every time without fail? They sit down, they get a plan, they get it all together, and they go really good, and they get to the end, and they don't know what to do because they didn't think it through all the way to how am I going to finish. I just, you just got to take my word for that. But you need some help at the end, and they didn't leave themselves any because all they were thinking about was how do we get this going. Unfortunately, a lot of people live life that way today. They're just living for today, and they're just doing the best they can, getting by to get by, and they're not thinking, how am I going to finish? What's this going to be like at the end? What do I, what I, when I do this today, what eternal perspective does it have? Do you even think about, do you think about the eternal perspective of what you're going to do today? What you say, what you do, what you pursue. I'm just going to ask you to do that. God's really put that on my heart lately a lot. For myself too, not just for you. What is the eternal goal you have in mind for what you do today? Because if you don't have one, you're not where you need to be. Because everything needs to have an eternal perspective. So the words you say, the things you do, whatever, how is that going to affect eternity? Let's bow and close. Father, I thank You that I really thank You that You're patient and merciful and gracious and loving and long-suffering because if You weren't, I wouldn't be here. But Father, I also 
say in public, we need to be remembered that you are also a God who judges and a God who condemns and a God of wrath and a God of justice and a God who will not allow sin just to go because that is unjust and it hurts way too many people. And you would not be a good and a holy God if you just let it go. And so I pray today, Father, that we would all have a deeper uh, reverence and understanding, first of all, for who you are when, when, when we understand you're holy, that you're holy and good and righteous and perfect. And we would have a deeper uh, conviction that sin matters, that evil matters, that people are being hurt. And we have a responsibility as your children to show your love and your grace that delivers people from the sin problem that they're in. And Father, I just pray that uh, as we go through these times that You would continue to be patient, that You would continue to be merciful, but that also we would not take advantage or presume upon Your patience and mercy, but count that as an opportunity to bring the kingdom on earth as we're told to do every day You give us life and breath. Father, make that our desire to attain to the resurrection of the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.